T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. All three engines up and burning. 2, 1, 0, and liftoff. Well, there it is, the sound of a rocket taking off, the launch. And today that means another edition of our podcast, Rocket Science for Leaders. I'm Uri Chapman. Part of the science addresses the question of how language and demeanor and leadership approach and policies affect energy in the organization because the job of the leader is to manage that powerful energy. And to engage that, we're going to use the highest power available on this earth. That's love. There's fear, of course, and we can put them always in opposition to each other. You may generate fear, but in general, that's not the intention of a loving leader. The only people who should fear a loving leader are those who are bullies, who like insulting people, who think that tricks and cheating are the way to operate. Those people should be afraid of the loving leader. So what are the tools? What's the rocket fuel that launches loving leadership into the stratosphere, into culture change, into the kind of setting where we all want to work? And I'm glad to tell you that this approach worked so well at Riverside Methodist Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, during the 12 years that I was CEO, that we built that organization. We, the team of leaders there, developed the culture in that organization so that it was so attractive that we were pulling the best doctors, clinical excellence was improving, patient satisfaction, was, which had started in the upper 60s, had moved to the high 90s, and we sustained those high 90s year after year after year. Imagine that, the largest hospital in Ohio with the highest patient satisfaction, in spite of its incredible size and the idea that it would be too complex. Here's a statistic that knocked me over when I heard it, and I'm glad to pass it along to all of you who may think, boy, this loving leadership stuff, I don't really know if that's the way to go. Well, when people disdain that, that means they don't understand it, or they do understand it, but they, they kind of see it as too hard to practice. You know, they'd rather do the shortcut of the, of the guy who just shouts out orders. Here's the outcome. I asked Mark Evans, our Senior Vice President for Human Resources at Riverside and the Ohio Health System, I said, you know, how many applications did we have for our job openings this past year in the system of 11,000 employees? Now, we were up to 11,000 employees because we, by then we had, I think, 10 hospitals and other outpatient facilities. So I said, all right. Uh, and Mark said to me, well, you aren't going to believe it. Uh, he said, we had 800 openings. Uh, and I said, okay, I understand. For those 800 openings, we had 30,000 applications. I said, that cannot be true. You mean 3,000? He said, nope. 30,000 applications for 800 jobs. Everybody in the Midwest and beyond wanted to come work at Riverside Methodist Hospital because we'd been picked as one of the top 10 places to work in the United States. That was not just about our benefits, which were good, or our pay levels, which were good. It was because the word had spread. Riverside Methodist is the place to work. Again, we weren't just attracting great first-line staff and great leaders. We had superb physicians there. That tradition has continued in that organization. So, What's the secret? People kept saying to me, what's your trick? How did you make that happen? I sure wish it was as simple as a trick. So people would say to me, hey, Erie, what's the trick? How'd you make that happen? 
how'd you get up to the 95th, 96th, 97th percentile in patient satisfaction? How come your clinical outcomes are so good? And by the way, you guys are, to use their phrase, raking it in. And we were. Our budget was exceeded each year. We were ringing the bell financially, which means our balance sheets were not only well-balanced, but they were showing a lot of green and no red. So clinical outcomes, peak financial performance, high patient satisfaction. And the way we knew our employee morale was good was not only because of surveys, but because our turnover levels had come way down from about 22% turnover when I first came to the hospital in 19, way back in 1983, we had come down to only 9% turnover in nursing and 11% turnover overall, half. Now, turnover is a certainty. Getting the turnover rate down low means morale must be good, people must want to work there. And guess what happens? You sure save a lot of money when you don't have to train new people all the time. No organization wants high turnover because high turnover is expensive and it's very difficult to maintain a strong organizational environment in a setting like that. Here's a story that you might enjoy. It has to do with communication. It happened a long time ago when I was a little kid, about, I don't know, five or six years old. I met another kid who'd moved into the neighborhood, name was Ule, and he walked up to me and I said to him, using my nickname, I said, hi, uh, I'm Chip, who are you? I, I said as cheerfully as I could, and he just looked back at me. And I kind of wondered, gee, was, was he deaf? So I shouted. I said, hey, I'm Chip. How are you? And then my father appeared, and he said, hey, uh, uh, Chip, uh, hold up a second. This is Ule. Ule is Swedish. So shouting is not going to help. He doesn't speak our language. How many times do we speak an idea to a confused face and repeat it until we belatedly discover the other person either does not understand or doesn't agree. And yet we keep repeating the same thing louder, more angrily, and the other person's face and spirit closes down and communication fails. As we all know, different circumstances require different kinds of communication, but, you know, sometimes we forget. And patients are people in crisis. They hear differently. I'm going to say that again. Patients are people in crisis. You put yourself in crisis, you will hear differently if you hear it all. Cancer patients, uh, trapped in angst as well as in their bed, um, they may all appear the same to a, a given caregiver, but their anxiety can scramble English into some kind of a foreign tongue. There have been lots of studies that demonstrate that sudden bad news traumatizes people into confusion. You know that. When a doctor says you have cancer, there's a pretty good chance you will not hear the next several sentences. But the doctor or nurse that shares that information with you can't tell because you keep the same expression. You're an adult, and the likelihood is you may just sit there and, and absorb it, and your expression may not change. So the caregiver isn't noticing that that news is so devastating that you can't hear. We first learn language by hearing others speak. Radical loving care, the rocket science for leaders, calls us to sacred listening. What is that? What is the formula? It's sacred listening so that caregivers understand the language of the traumatized, the language of those who've just been diagnosed with a terrible disease, whose lives may be near to ending. Radical loving care calls us to sacred listening and to sacred communication before we speak about treatments. If shouting to a deaf person is foolish, then droning instructions to a terrified adult 
is caregiver malpractice. Healing begins with listening. Listening is the rocket fuel leaders use to launch new cultures. This has been Rocket Science for Leaders, and I'm Erie Chapman, urging and encouraging all of you to live love, not fear. <laughs>